dear loving Father in heaven, thank you so much for your goodness, your love, your mercy, which is clearly bestowed upon us on a daily basis. Thank you for the food we eat, the water we drink, the air we breathe. Thank you for the comfort we enjoy. And we thank you, Lord, for the temporal blessings that you give to us. Thank you for the spiritual blessings that you give to us also. For forgiveness of sins. For the ministry of the holy angels and the Holy Spirit on our behalf. Thank you for your word, O Lord. Once again, Lord, we want to listen to your word that we may be blessed and that we may be instruments by which your will will be done on this earth. Be with us, dear Lord. Grant us of your spirit. Put your words in my mouth. Consecrate me to your service. The lessons we have to learn are lessons that we need in order to be like our Lord Jesus. Please, Lord, impress our hearts as we listen, that we all may be blessed, I pray, that our characters will be transformed into the image of Jesus. Amen. Conflict and Courage, November 9 Only Jesus knew The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Matthew chapter 26 verse 24 the disciples knew nothing of the purpose of Judas. Jesus alone could read his secret. Yet he did not expose him. Jesus hungered for his soul. His heart was crying, How can I give thee up? The constraining power of that love was felt by Judas. When the Savior's hands were bathing those soiled feet and wiping them with a towel, the heart of Judas thrilled true and true with the impulse then and there to confess his sin. But he would not humble himself. He hardened his heart against repentance, and the old impulses for the moment put aside again controlled him. Judas was now offended at Christ's act in washing the feet of his disciples. If Jesus could so humble himself, he thought, he could not be Israel's king. All hope of worldly honor in a temporal kingdom was destroyed. Judas was satisfied that there was nothing to be gained by following Christ. He was possessed by a demon and he resolved to complete the work he had agreed to do in betraying his Lord. Judas the betrayer was present at the sacramental service. He received from Jesus the emblems of his broken body and his spilled blood. He heard the words, This do in remembrance of me. And sitting there, in the very presence of the Lamb of God, the betrayer brooded upon his own dark purposes and cherished his sullen, revengeful thoughts. At the Passover supper, Jesus proved his divinity by revealing the traitor's purpose. 
he tenderly included Judas in the ministry to the disciples. But the last appeal of love was unheeded. Then the case of Judas was decided, and the feet that Jesus had washed went forth to the betrayer's work. Until this step was taken, Judas had not passed beyond the possibility of repentance. But when he left the presence of his Lord and his fellow disciples, the final decision had been made. He had passed the boundary line. How many today are like Judas, betraying their Lord? Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Only Jesus Knew. And oh, what a lesson it is to us that only Jesus knew. We want to learn a lesson today, the grace of the character of Jesus called unobtrusiveness. You see, all the while that Judas was stealing money from the bag, Jesus knew. But he didn't tell Judas or anyone at all. Have you ever seen yourself in this situation that Jesus was in? Jesus told Peter publicly that Peter was going to deny him. But in the case of Judas, he kept silent. He didn't tell Judas to his face. Judas, tonight you are going to betray me. But I have prayed for you. Why didn't he do this? It had everything to do with psychology and understanding the human mind. Jesus did not intend to get into a secret warfare with Judas, but Judas had already declared a secret war with Jesus. Like we saw in previous devotions, Judas was actually undermining Jesus' words and authority by trying to make it to look like Jesus was a false teacher and like he knew more than Jesus. Jesus did not enter into any open debate with him. But on the occasion of Judas trying to condemn Mary for what she did, Jesus had to speak to correct the wrong impression that Judas had made. But Judas took it personally. He was going to have his revenge on Jesus. Jesus couldn't avoid the wrath of Judas in this case. But Judas was out to get him. All the while, Jesus kept quiet, hoping there would be a change in Judas. Jesus did not tell Judas publicly that he was going to betray him because it would have been useless. He fell short of it so Judas could have an opportunity to change but Judas failed to grab the opportunity. Jesus told Judas in such a way that only Judas knew what he was referring to. In the book of John 13, reading from verse 21, after Jesus had washed their feet, it says, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he speak. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? He then, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him, then said unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now here verse 28 it says, Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake 
unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sup, went immediately out, and it was night, and indeed night was it for Judas from that day on. Till this time, no one knew that Judas was cooking up a wicked plan that was about to hatch. This brings to light a Christian character called unobtrusiveness. Jesus was very unobtrusive in the way he dealt with the knowledge that he had of other men's sins. In the book of Proverbs 25 verse 9, we are told, Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself, and discover not a secret to another, lest he that heareth it put thee to shame, and thine infamy turn not away. Hmm. Do you know that you will be infamous if you go about discovering the secret of another man's sin to others? Listen to these words, verse 9 and 10 of Proverbs 25. This was what Jesus was living by. Debate thy course with thy neighbor himself, and discover not a secret to another, lest he that heareth it put thee to shame, and thine infamy turn not away. There is nothing glorious about being the one who reveals other people's secrets. And this was the character of Jesus. He didn't reveal people's secrets to others. Even when John asked Jesus, Jesus answered in such a way that only Judas knew what Jesus was referring to. Reading from Desire of Ages, page 645, and we also read in our devotion today, it says the disciples knew nothing of the purpose of Judas. Jesus alone could read his secret, yet he did not expose him. Jesus hungered for his soul. He felt for him such a burden as for Jerusalem when he wept over the doomed city. His heart was crying, how can I give thee up? Let me just pause and say this. Do you think that if exposing Judas would have helped Judas, Jesus would not have done it? If exposing Judas would have helped Judas, Jesus would have exposed him. But Jesus did not expose Judas because, as a, general, as a general principle, it never helps anyone. When we go out of our way to expose them of the, concerning the sins that are secret in their life, Judas' sin was a secret one and Jesus did not expose him there. There are some of us who do not have this character of Christ. Jesus was unobtrusive. Let me continue the reading. It says, The constraining power of that love was felt by Judas. When the Savior's hands were bathing those soiled feet and wiping them with, with the towel, the heart of Judas thrilled true and true with the impulse then and there to confess his sin. But he would not humble himself. He hardened his heart against repentance, and the old impulses for the moment put aside again controlled him." End of quote. Now, brothers and sisters, we have a serious lesson to learn in the example of Jesus. He knew right from time who it was that would betray him, and also knew that Judas had been stealing, yet he never brought it to Judas's attention or the attention of any of the disciples. If it were you, what will you do? You find out that somebody is stealing. What will you do? You report to every other person or you go and confront him. Jesus did not confront Judas. Neither did he report Judas to anyone. 
What did he do? He kept it to himself. While praying earnestly for Judas, he washed Judas' feet and gave him the communion, hoping to pour a cup of cold water on Judas' head, hoping that such an act will minister to him and change him. One example we never see from Jesus is him exposing the sins of one person to another. Even when John asked the question on who it was, Jesus answered in such a way that only Judas will know that he knows. John himself did not understand. Can one say about us that only us, we are the only ones that know their secret? Or will you discover a secret to another? There are some people who seem to think that keeping secrets is a bad thing. Oh, why are you keeping secrets? It is only when you don't have the spirit of God, the character of God, that you want to have that spirit of exposing people's secrets. It is Satan who does that. Look at your life, all the secret sins in your own life. Has Jesus ever spoken about it to another person to expose you? And how would you feel for someone to know it and expose you while you are still struggling with it? Will it be in your, in your best interest? Will it be for your best good? This is a lesson that we need to learn. Like I said, it's a lesson of unobtrusiveness. Not just in not exposing people, but there are some who would want to even confront. Jesus did not confront Judas. Now don't get me wrong. I know that there are times when we need to confront. And I'm not talking about that. Here he's talking about a secret sin in Judas' life. But Jesus understanding the nature of Judas, that he's not the type who can take it. He didn't confront him. And not just Judas, by the way. Remember that Simon, Jesus did not confront him to. Jesus knew that Simon was a sinner. He came to Simon's house. He ate with him. He never said anything to him concerning his sin. How about Zacchaeus? He told Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. He didn't come there to tell him how he's a thief and how he needs to change his ways and how he needs to start returning the money to people. No, he didn't do that. He allowed the grace of the Spirit of the Lord to work on Zacchaeus' heart. Only Zacchaeus of his own self spoke up and said, I am going to do this. Why? Jesus always used the tool of mercy and grace and goodness on people's lives to lead them to repentance. It was not by calling them out that they changed. He didn't call Judas out. He simply said, I'm coming to eat in your house. And what did Zacchaeus? He didn't call Zacchaeus out. He simply said to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus changed. He didn't call Simon out. He simply came to his house to eat, house to eat, and sat down with him and then discussed with him. Simon changed. Same thing with Mary. Same thing with Judas. We need to learn this lesson from the Lord. The life of Simon is one example of unobtrusiveness. I've talked about that, but let's talk about another example of this unobtrusive character of Jesus. It is seen in the way he dealt with the knowledge he had of his disciples' weaknesses. Reading from Mark chapter 9, verse 33 and 34, it says, And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For, by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. End of quote. So, Jesus wanted to help his disciples. They were behind him when they were walking, discussing something about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus knew about it. He didn't just come to them and just start telling them, hey, look, stop discussing this. Why? Because he knew that it was a secret conversation that they didn't want him to know about. 
all he did was to ask them a question and what was that question for to give them an opportunity in case so that they can speak to him but since they didn't want to speak he left it alone desire of ages page 434 paragraph 5 and page 45 says when christ and the disciples were alone in the house while peter was gone to the sea jesus called the others to him and asked what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way listen now he says the presence of jesus and his question put the matter in an entirely different light from that in which it had appeared to them while they were contending by the way shame and self-condemnation kept them silent Jesus had told them that he was to die for their sake and their selfish ambition was in painful contrast to his unselfish love. This had led to questioning as to who should fill the highest offices. On Peter's return from the sea, the disciples told him of the Savior's question and at last one ventured to ask Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? End of quote. As far as the disciples did not open to Jesus what their discussion was, Jesus didn't go any further to correct them, even if he knew quite alright what it was that they were discussing. It was not until they finally summoned the courage to ask him the question which bothered them that Jesus proceeded to get into the details and encourage them. And in the case of Peter, he did not reprove him in a way to show he was disappointed in him. And in the case of Peter, I'm referring to here, you know, before Peter, um, before this happened, Peter came to meet Jesus. Um, some Pharisees met Peter asking him, does your master pay tax? And Peter giving, wanting to give a fair answer to them, like give a good image about Jesus, told them, yes, he pays. And then Jesus knew about it. Jesus did not tell him, why did you tell them that I pay tax? He just simply asked Peter a question. Who is supposed to pay tax? Jesus actually asked him, is it those who are strangers or those who are citizens? Something like that. And um, Peter said, it is those who are strangers that pay tribute. And then Jesus said, then the people who are citizens are free, right? And Peter said, yes. And then Jesus told him, go and get money from the mouth of a fish and pay them. In this matter, Peter was wrong. Jesus did not bring up the issue to him and say, oh, see how wrong you were. Oh, Peter, how long can I bear with you? He didn't do that. He just simply discussed the matter in such a light to make Peter understand his error, but not in a painful way. He wasn't, he wasn't intruding into Peter's mind to make him feel bad about what just happened. In Desire of Ages, page 43, paragraph 4, here how it says, it says, when Peter entered into the house the savior made no reference to what had taken place but he inquired what thinkest thou simon of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute of their own children or of strangers peter answered of strangers and jesus said then are the children free end of quote let me my point here is that jesus made no reference to what had taken place this is a lesson we need to learn sometimes you need to understand the mind of people. If Jesus had made reference to it, it would have affected Peter in such a way to remind him of how bad he is or how he just made a mistake. And then with the disciples later, he didn't intrude until they spoke to him about what the issue was, then he corrected them. Jesus was not the type to meddle in other people's mind or their business. He was no busybody. He was always unobtrusive. 
even in helping people, not just in correcting people. Imagine what it would have been like to see him open his ears to every secret thing people had to say about others. That would certainly detract from his dignity. He does not become one who is a king to go about as a tale-bearer. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 verse 13, A tale-bearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Proverbs 18 verse 8, The words of a tale-bearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Proverbs 20 verse 19, He that goeth about as a tale-bearer revealeth secrets. Therefore, meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Who are you not to meddle with? When you find people who love to reveal other people's secrets, avoid. Meddle not with him. Or those who want to intrude into other people's lives, to investigate as a detective, to find out something dirty about them so that they can report it, so that they can talk about it. Avoid them. Jesus did not go about trying to search people's phones for secret information or trying to meddle into their past to find something he could discuss with John the Beloved or Mary his mother. All that he knew about people, he certainly would keep to himself or in an unobtrusive manner would address it or in other occasions like that of his disciples when he knew what they were reasoning, he would simply ask questions that would give them the opportunity to speak or not to speak depending on how they want it. What does it mean to be obtrusive now? Obtrusive, being obtrusive means that you make it obvious or clear that you know something, especially in a blatant and displeasing way. Jesus did not work this way. He would help people without letting them be embarrassed or know that he knew their secrets. Look at his dealing with Mary Magdalene, with Simon the leper and with Judas and we will see how respectful of other people's space he was. Look at his dealing with you who are listening to me. He even did miracles and helped people and healed them without letting them know of their suffering. Re reading from Desire of Ages, page 92, paragraph 1, we read this. It says, Jesus was a healer of the body as well as of the soul. This is talking about before he even began his ministry. Reading from Desire of Ages, page 92, paragraph 1, we are told, Jesus was the healer of the body as well as of the soul. He was interested in every phase of suffering that came under his notice, and to every sufferer he brought relief. And this is referring to, by the way, before his three and a half years ministry, while he was a youth living in Nazareth. So I continue, he says, his kind words having a soothing balm. None could say that he had worked a miracle, but virtue, the healing power of love, went out from him to the sick and distressed. Thus, in an unobtrusive way, he worked for the people from his very childhood. And this was why, after his public ministry began, so many heard him gladly." End of quote. So what was it that Jesus was doing here? He even helped people without them without them knowing that he knew what their problem was that's what we just read here in an unobtrusive way he worked for the people from his very childhood he could see people who needed a soothing balm even though they didn't tell him he will go and meet them and by the time he's through speaking with them virtue will leave him and will heal them without them even knowing that he knew what their problem was and he intentionally helped them 
without them knowing he helped them. You see, meddling in people's businesses was not part of Jesus' ministry. It was not part of his itinerary. Reading from Manuscript Releases, Volume 2, page 274, paragraph 1, we are told, I beg of you not to call meddling in other people's household affairs missionary work. Fault-finding and oppression stirs up the worst elements of human nature. With proper labor, many souls might have been added to the church who are driven from the fold into the wilderness of unbelief." End of quote. You see, when we go about meddling, it makes God's presence to even go away from us. When you go about revealing people's secrets, talking about it, see, just ask yourself, the things that you do not want people to know about, when you hear other people discussing it, how do you feel about it? Then, next time you want to discuss about things that you hear about others, think about how you would feel. Because sometimes I find myself in situations where, okay, there's something I know. It's just out of, you just want to talk. And you feel like you want to tell another person. I need to ask myself. And I do ask myself, this thing this person told me, will they like it if they hear it? Hear me discussing it with another person? And good number of times as I hear, as I think about it, I say, this person may not want another person to know about this. So there's no point in me telling any other person. And then, on the other other hand, I ask, of what benefit is it to tell this person this thing? No benefit whatsoever and I keep short. Reading now, like I said, this matter of revealing secrets, it takes away the Holy Spirit from those who do it. Signs of the Times, October 2, 1901, paragraph 9, it says, he whose mind is so filled with his own devices that he has little time to study the word of God, no time to find out, by looking into the divine mirror what kind of character he is forming, should not think that he is fitted to hold forth the word of life to others. Perhaps he catches a glimpse of the mistakes he is making. He sees that he is, his building is unlike the design given him. But he is so absorbed in correcting others that he has no time to correct his own defects and therefore continues to present before angels and men a miserable representation of Christ. He knows not what it is to feel the saving power of divine grace. He is too busy to act like a Christian, too busy to give expression by courteous words and kindly deeds to Christ-like love. Angels veil their faces in sorrow. Men see that he is not what he professes to be and they turn from him as a counterfeit." End of quote. From what we are learning, Christians are not to be busybodies in other men's matters. There is a disposition in some to meddle and be obtrusive and nosy in people's business. They burden themselves to find out this and that secret about another person. Let's be real. This is the truth and it is quite ugly. People have turned into detectives and Christian police to find out things about others and find pleasure in revealing their suspicions. And even not that, even going to confront. There are sometimes you know something about someone. Look at Jesus. Do you see him going to confront Judas or confront Simon or confront Mary or all the troves of people that were coming around him? Some people may have just stolen and come right there to discuss with Jesus and Jesus knew about it. Some may have just finished committing adultery and they come to listen to the message. Jesus knew, but only Jesus knew. Not even the person knew that Jesus knew. Is that not an example for us? It surely is an example for us.
You may know something of someone's life that you saw them doing. Don't think that it is Christ-likeness for you to just open your mouth and start to tell them about what you know about them, that they did this bad thing or they did that bad thing. How did Jesus address people? In an unobtrusive way. He spoke about laying up treasures in heaven. Who do you think he was talking to? He did have people in mind. Don't think he was just talking and he didn't have people in mind. He knew exactly whom he was referring to when he was speaking, telling people, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Judas was in his mind. And many other selfish people were in his mind when he was saying it, but he didn't mention their names. He didn't mention their names. He spoke. That is what it means to be unobtrusive. Even when he wanted to make Judas know that he knew what he was doing, he didn't mention Jesus's name, Judas's name. He just said, he to whom I give the sop, he is the one that will betray me. And he gave it to Judas. Judas knew quite alright that Jesus knew. But he didn't mention Judas's name. Judas and Jesus, they knew. Judas stood up, went out to do what he wanted to do. And Jesus did not say a word. He didn't tell Judas directly. Neither did he tell any of the disciples. This is an example. It is Christ's example we are talking about here. And that's what we need to follow. I was saying earlier, we need to stop being nosy. People burden themselves to find out this and that. We ought not to do these things. There's nothing, you're not supposed to be this Christian police and detective in, in people's lives. Find, finding pleasure in revealing your suspicions. You may be privy to some information about something erroneous or abominable in the life of a brother but we do not reveal the grace of christ the grace of being unobtrusive when we meddle into their mind we grieve them we don't express christ's character when we make it a matter to gossip about or think we are so burdened so as to correct everything we see wrong in the life of another Reading from Testimonies, Volume 2, page 185, paragraph 3, to further buttress the point of how the Holy Spirit leaves you when you do this. It says, I saw that when sisters who are given to talk get together, Satan is generally present. For he finds employment. He stands by to excite the mind and make the most of the advantage he has gained. He knows that all this gossip and tale-bearing and revealing of secrets and dissecting of character separate the soul from God. It is death to spirituality and a calm religious influence. And not only that, what what happens next? People will start to avoid you. Going on it says, Sister, you sins greatly with her tongue. She ought by her words to have an influence for good, but she frequently talks at random. Sometimes her words put a different construction upon things than than they will bear. Sometimes there is exaggeration. Then there is misstatement. There is no intention to misstate, but the habit of much talking and talking upon things that are unprofitable has been so long cherished that she has become careless and reckless in her words and frequently does not know what she is stating herself. This destroys any influence for good she might have. It is time there was an entire reform in this respect. Hmm. Her society has not been prized as it would have been had she not indulged in this sinful talking. So if we want to be clear on this matter, because some people seem to think that as Christians we are not to keep anything secret. There should be no secrets at all. No, that's not the spirit of God. That is not the Spirit of God by any means. And you know, and it is not the Spirit of God whose whose Spirit it is. It is the Spirit of Satan. When you think that there are some things that shouldn't be kept secret, 
a lot of things are to be kept secret. We are told it is the tail bearer that reveals secrets. We are told that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. And he does it all the time for everyone. He conceals so many things about you and about me and so many others. And Jesus' example tells us that. We are to cherish a spirit of love and that is revealed in a way we deal with our brethren. In Romans 12 verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And also in verse 10, we are told, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. And also in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5, we are told, likewise ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. These words describe true humility of mind. They reveal a heart touched by the love of Jesus. He who has the spirit of Christ will have modesty of demeanor. And his words will reveal that the Holy Spirit is cherished. Christians will not be bold rash, dictatorial, boastful, denunciatory, and revengeful, but will manifest an unassuming, gentle spirit and will show that they discern and appreciate the virtues of others. They will give due respect to all saints, counting them members of the royal family, children of the heavenly king, they will speak kindly when in conversation, whether they are young or old, high or low, learned or unlearned. Their words will not be like piercing swords. They will not have a spirit to humble their brethren by accusing and condemning them for their faults or errors. End of quote. Did you get that? They will not have that spirit to humble others. And one way to humble someone is by exposing like we the title of our devotion is only jesus knew he didn't expose judas and that's one way to show revenge by revealing a dirty secret about someone that is vengeance and if you are a christian you won't do that and another there are two things we're talking about here one it's not every time you go to confront people even though you know something about them and secondly even when you want to help if you need to you talk to the person alone that's what we are told. And don't talk to another person about it. Reading from Matthew 18 from verse 15, Jesus set it down by saying, If your brother's child trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an hidden, as an hidden man and a publican. Amen. So, is Jesus saying just treat them contemptuously? No way. The, what he's saying here is very clear. Go and meet the person between you and him alone. After that, you can call someone else. After that, the church. And if the person doesn't listen, then he says count him as an hidden. To explain this further, we read in the book Desire of Ages, page 441, paragraph 2, it says, if he will not hear them, then and not till then, 
the matter is to be brought before the whole body of believers. Let the members of the church as the representatives of Christ unite in prayer and loving entreaty that the offender may be restored. Now, we, were, we also saw if the person is not restored, what do we do? Paragraph 4 says, But it is to the wrongdoer himself that we are to present the wrong. We are not to make it a matter of comment and criticism among ourselves, nor even after it is told to the church are we at liberty to repeat it to others. Our knowledge of the faults of Christians will be only a cause of stumbling to the unbelieving world. And by dwelling upon these things, we ourselves can receive only harm. Do you get that? By dwelling upon these things, upon the fault of your church member, of the pastor, of all your, your, the people who are involved in the church, by dwelling upon this, you are going to receive only harm. For it is by beholding that we become changed. While we seek to correct the errors of our brother, the Spirit of Christ will lead us to shield him as far as possible from the criticism of even his own brethren. Oh, I need to repeat that one. It says, the Spirit of Christ, when you are seeking to correct the errors of a brother, the Spirit of Christ will lead us to shield him as far as possible from the criticism of even his own brethren and how much more from the censure of the unbelieving world. We ourselves are erring and need Christ's pity and forgiveness and just as we wish him to deal with us, he bids us to deal with one another." End of quote. The lesson, the grace of unobtrusiveness is what we are learning here, both in helping people and in also that's helping people who need help when it comes to maybe things like finance or the rest or even people who are in error. It is that grace of unobtrusiveness we are learning and I trust that the Lord is speaking to our hearts. In conclusion, I want to read something which I may not explain anything about and after that we are done. But I trust that it will help us to understand and receive that grace of Christ. It says in Review and Herald November 21, 1899, We are to learn a lesson from the goodness and mercy and self-sacrificing life of the Father. We are to study how to give our sympathy and love to others. As we have received this priceless gift, so we are to impart it. We are to learn how to rule by love and kindness rather than by severity and censure. When an erring person becomes conscious of his wrong, do not deal with him in a manner that will make take away all his self-respect. Do not seek to tear to pieces, but to bind up and heal. You may see the errors of a brother, yet he may not be able to discern his wrong and it may be difficult to know how to act, but never pursue a course that will give him the impression that you regard yourself as his superior. And I would like to add here, even in discussing, some husbands and wives think that, think that it is okay for them to reveal each other, secrets that they know to each other. Don't think that way. Husband, don't think that, oh, because someone told you something, you must tell your wife. And wife, don't think that because you know something about one sister, then you must tell your husband. Do not think that way. Seek the person's permission before you can share it with your spouse. I go on, it says, Do not seek to tear to pieces, but to bind and to heal. Like we read earlier, 
you may see the wrong in a brother the person doesn't see it it may be difficult for you to know how to act but don't do anything to make the person think that you are his superior going going on and reading says you may think that your feelings your pursuits your organization are superior to his but do not seek to make this apparent for such a cause is altogether out of harmony with true refinement true nobility of character we are not to bruise the souls of the erring but to go to them armed with humility and prayer when the gospel minister with his heart subdued by the love and grace of christ comes in touch with human minds he can reveal his superior qualifications not by destroying hope and courage but by inspiring faith in the faithless by lifting up the hands that hang down and confirming the feeble knees unless the gospel minister brings himself in touch with souls he is not following the example of christ the mind of christ is to be the mind of every child of god how pitiful and courteous jesus was how tenderly he entered into the feelings of others he desires to awaken in every heart an anxious longing to seek and save that which is lost his servants are not to display their own superiority they are to make no special reference to their own qualifications for by this act they testify that they do not have the endowments they think they possess if their eyes were fixed on jesus if they were contemplating his purity and excellence they could not regard themselves as holy they would see their weakness and poverty and defects as they are they would see themselves lost and hopeless clad in the garments of self-righteousness like every other sinner if we are saved it will not be because of our superior intellect or our refinement but because of the grace of god we have no garment of our own that will give us a position of honor at the marriage supper of the lamb christ's robe alone the garment woven in the loom of heaven will give the guests a worthiness to sit down at the marriage feast the world is polluted under the inhabitants thereof satan has left his fearful mark upon men and women but god has not placed upon any the burden of the sins of the world we must have serious thoughts as we see the prevalence of iniquity in the world but the fact that imperfection reigns everywhere should not cause us to look upon the unpleasant side of life we are children of the king pilgrims and strangers who seek a better country even a heavenly as we see the exciting pleasures of the world we must guard against a sour hard censorious spirit let us look away from the sin and the evil of the world to jesus who is the embodiment of purity the embodiment of purity his love reigns supreme towards his enemies and all who follow him will keep themselves in subjection to the laws of his kingdom those who feel it their prerogative to criticize their fellow men and are doing the work of the enemy the lord has set none to correct the supposed errors of others for by beholding these imperfections they they themselves become harsh and self-centered they compare themselves with themselves and measure themselves among themselves they are jealous and sensitive souls who foster their pride until like an inflamed wound it cannot bear the slightest touch they fancy that they have been slighted when no slight exists until they create in themselves the very evils they imagine in others no man is to regard himself as appointed by god to dwell upon these objectionable features christ has given none the grace to do this work and those who attempt it will make serious mistakes 
neither ministers nor people must educate themselves to think evil of their brethren, to watch for any slight or misconception of their own importance. For Satan is waiting to follow up any advantage gained." End of quote. Uh, I could say a lot about this, but suffice to say, what this is telling us is that we are not to make ourselves those who only see evil, evil, evil in people and that's what we want to talk about. There are things to behold that will be good for us. If we keep on beholding that which we want to criticize, we will become like that which we are beholding. Jesus, though he knew the sins of every man's life, kept it to himself. Can we say about you that you are keeping things to yourself? Can I say about myself that I keep things to myself even away from your spouse? Because don't think that your spouse needs to know everything you know. Not so. It's not to make a matter, a discussion of every matter you know about. I pray that the Lord will give us the grace to put these things in practice. I know very well that there are exceptions to this rule. There are exceptions to this case. But as a general rule, we must learn to be unobtrusive into the life of others. We must learn to speak like our Lord Jesus. Do you want to correct people? You can just read the Bible passage, speak. You don't need to tell people, oh, I know this about your life. And then you go and start discussing with people, this person did this, this person did that, revealing secrets or making investigations and being a detective and finding this and finding that out and making suppositions and suspicions. It is never going to end well. The Spirit of the Lord will leave such a person. The Lord is teaching us this lesson. Even if you do know something for sure, like he knew about Judas, he kept it to himself. As a general rule, I know that there are exceptions, but as a general rule, we must love, and love is shown in what we have just read now. That we do not get sensitive at the slightest touch. You just want to correct every single thing you see. Somebody says, oh, you correct this and that. No, we must be careful not to bruise and wound by our criticisms. And then, even when you don't speak to that person, which it would have even been better if you had told the person their error. But you go to tell John and Peter, but you don't tell Judas himself. And you tell James and Thaddeus and Matthew, but Judas, the person in the error, you don't talk to him. Jesus did not talk to any of his disciples about Judas' sin. About Judas' sin, He knew Judas was a thief. He kept it to himself. He didn't even tell Judas himself. What, a, what an example for us. May the Lord forgive us for the times we have not been like Jesus. Let us pray. Our dear Father in heaven, please forgive us for the times we have not been like you. In tail-bearing, in gossiping, in not keeping things to ourselves. It's a very high lesson and I pray, Lord, that you teach us to be like you in this matter. To be unobtrusive, to view things that are good in the lives of others and speak of them. Thank you for hearing our prayers and answering. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.